Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. What would the world look like if we all pushed ourselves to have candid conversations with people who didn't look like us, think like us, or live like us? I'm Dave Hollis, and I'm on a mission to learn more about this world by meeting more of the people who live here. You may not always agree with everything you hear, but I guarantee you'll come away more informed on topics you might never have thought to seek out before. This isn't just a podcast, it's a community. And when we raise each other up, we all rise together. Rise Together listener, Dave here. I am uh, once again on the back patio, but this time I'm not alone. I am sitting, I mean, you're staring right into my soul, Mike. I am sitting. I've been uh, told I do that. You do do that. Uh, I am sitting with a friend. I am sitting with someone uh, that if you do not yet already know him, I hope you will come to know him because he uh, is amazing in so many ways. I, uh, I don't have a bio of you in front of you, so let me see if I can do it off the top of my head. Mike is a New York Times bestselling author, is a speaker, is a founder of a treatment facility that is extraordinary, is uh, a TV personality on a show called Dr. Phil, is uh, handsome, and works in personal development and coaching Mr. Mike Bear, Mr. Mike Bear has uh, decided to grace us with his presence on this, the back patio of the Hollis residence, in town for nothing more than us to spend what has been just the most amazing afternoon in conversation. We did a workout together. Yeah, and I did not expect that we would be doing a podcast together. I told you I was planning on visiting you after... We uh, got together at my house in Los Angeles, and uh, so here I am. I flew from Miami and kept my word, and then you said, Mike, what do you think about doing a podcast? And Yeah, well, so let me even explain. So Mike has played this role in my life, not so much as America's coach, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I remember when I had my first book come out, you had a book that was also coming out. There is this thing that happens in publishing where mm. if you are publishing from a company and someone else inside of the company is publishing, you get to know the other authors. And in the getting to know you game, if there's something in like similarity or in potential target audience, you sometimes ask someone that is also releasing a book, hey, would you consider endorsing my book? Hey, I'll send it to you, read it if you like it, say something nice about it, I'll do the same for you. That was the way that we initially met each other. And I'll be honest, I didn't know who you were. And I was yeah. like, okay, if you publisher are telling me that he's good people, I'll take a look. And I read the book and I loved the book, but I'm more than that. Um, I, was, I was not aware at the time that I was being given invita an invitation to have you become a friend in my life. Mm. 
And it just so happened that like life would go on, a lot of things happening in life between that first chance encounter and the next time that I was releasing something or you were releasing something. And we'd just kind of started to keep in touch. Right. And it was when I was in town recording a podcast for the next of my books that was coming out that I think I took what was... Built through courage. Built through courage. That I took what was, at the time, a bit more of a casual, intermittent texting relationship Mm. to, uh, hey, after we're done recording this, can we, like friends would, just like spend some time and connect? And you came to represent, for me, something of a safe space in like kind of talking through whatever it was that I was working through. Mm. And there were times when in going through as many of the crazy things that were happening in my life that like, it was usually pretty late at night. I'd send a note like, uh, Hey Mike, I'm going through this thing and I don't know why I'm thinking the things I'm thinking or processing these things in this way. And you'd send back just like the quickest, Oh, well, let me, let's jump on the phone. Let's have a quick chat. Or you'd give me a little piece of advice. But it was when I got to hang out with you at your house after that podcast that I was like, dude, this, this guy is actually a friend of mine. And I have something in a safe space and a real connection that affords me this opportunity to just be completely transparent mm. in whatever it is that I'm going through. And that is a quality that um, I just admire so much in who you are, but also like I value because I want, I think everyone wants more than anything to just like have a chance to be fully and totally who they are, separate and completely away from anything that could be judged, but also with someone who in receiving all of you can see you and honor you, but also challenge you and hold you accountable. And uh, you've been that for me. And so I just wanna say thank you to start things off with that. But one of the things that inevitably has come up as a part of our conversation over the course of time, in part because of the work that you do, but also the work that you did years and years ago in establishing this treatment facility that I have just recently myself been a really amazing beneficiary of the work that is done there. Uh, I came to you and was like, man, I am going through it. Mm. I don't necessarily know how to understand the things that I'm feeling. I certainly don't like the way that... Well, you brought it up a few times. I brought it up a few you, times. You, 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 <clears throat> periodically, I would hear from you where I think uh, life and being in life in general, especially if you're seen as a certain expert, there can be big expectations that you have to be perfect or that you can't struggle and and at different times i know you know you were that the struggling was getting increasing for you yeah and frustrating for you it, it was it, it was increasing it was frustrating and in the increased weight and the wildly higher degrees of frustration i was turning to my traditional bag of coping specifically drinking in ways that were were even more frustrating like i was uh, i was frustrated at myself for in having thought I had a handle, having previously had long periods of abstinence from drinking altogether, right. even though I'd like acknowledge the fact that, man, this is the go-to that I've had for a ton of time and I've worked on it in these ways that when in the absence of having been married or trying to put myself into new spaces, this was that thing that just kind of kept coming back. 
I, I reached out and was like, I don't understand. Like, I'm a smart person. Right. I understand cause and effect. I know all the tips and tricks. I get the habits and routines. And I still feel myself when I go to the darkest places or I have those negative thoughts or I don't want to confront the things that I need to confront and just haven't confronted yet that grabbing a drink is still one of those things. And I remember you said it and it was just so simple. You said, well, I know how to help you. You know, I, I've done this work for about two decades worth of time. And if there's a, a thing I know more than anything, getting help is a thing that you can do, but you have to decide that getting it and whatever feelings are associated with choosing to get it have to be greater than the feelings of shame or the feelings of stigma or the feelings of whatever it is that's keeping you from taking advantage of something that sits right in front of you. And when I called you, you know, here at the beginning of the year, I was like, all right, brother, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm sick of being sick. I'm sick of being tired. Yeah. I'm tired of being tired. And uh, it's a very, very strange thing because I am so proud of this experience that I have been through in 2022. Uh, like mm -hmm. this is one of the greatest investments I have made in my life, in time, in, in, in anything. It is one of the greatest things I've ever been through. And yet we've talked about it. I still have a little bit of this like, oh, is it okay for me to talk about the greatest thing I've ever experienced? Might I be judged for? Well, it's, I, th I think for you too, and I remember you had gone a year without drinking. And for someone who can abstain for a year, it feels like they can control it. And anybody who, let's say, you know, is defined as an alcoholic, let's say we're let's say we're using that term right yep and there's criteria that would make it so that term uh matches the criteria that you know someone needs to be doing to to be called an alcoholic and usually the person who's the alcoholic is the last one to want to admit it and for anyone who's extremely high functioning it's even more difficult because when life looks good enough, when uh, there's maybe finances are okay and family is okay, it becomes that thing where it's confusing. It's really confusing. Why, why can't I stop drinking even though I stopped before? And why is it taking control of my life? And 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 I was really proud of you when you called me. Even the few times we spoke prior, I was doing my best not to nudge you too hard. Yeah. Maybe just plant some seeds because you can't force someone to want to change. In fact, all you do is you kind of push them away. So if you can plant seeds of hope, then usually they'll come back around. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is, what, so two things. What I now have unbelievable clarity on is that there is a difference between abstinence and treatment, mm. right? Like my or abstinence and recovery, abstinence and recovery, excuse yeah. me, abstinence and recovery in that deciding to not drink for that year, right? Like I am high functioning. I can set and achieve goals. I have a long history of accomplishment and achievement. And man, a lot of my achievement is connected to how I feel like I can be loved for having mm. achieved. And there in that year was so much pride that I had for not drinking, but not addressing any of the underlying things that were creating that symptom of alcohol in the first place is part of why 
you know, I get, you know, it's like, it was like mid 19 to mid 20. I, you know, I very shortly after this year of not drinking run into the biggest obstacle obstacle of my life in a divorce Mm -hmm. and and COVID and COVID. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Listen, I know more people that, that went back to, uh, behavior of their past that was problematic, whether it was eating, shopping, drugs, there were more overdoses than ever during COVID. So it, it, people suffered, period. Yeah. And well, so, and so it's like, in, in, and that brings me to the second thing I wanted to say, which is like suffering is a good way to describe it in that uh, I definitely, in times when I was reaching for alcohol to not have to deal with the feelings that inevitably come up in hard things or, or the negative self-talk or the imposter syndrome or just any of the unprocessed trauma or grief of my life, especially in the last couple of years, it was me choosing uh, suffering that I was familiar with. Like mm. I knew the predictable outcome of what would happen when I did. And as much as like I've had people in conversation with me like, oh, was drinking a problem for you? No, actually, drinking was a solution for mm. me, right? It was a 95% solution that 5% of the time was a very, very bad problem. Yeah. In that the solution was, I don't have to face the thing that I'm thinking about. I don't have to confront that trauma or that grief or that feeling or that negative self-talk. And yeah. in the muting, um, it was a, a short-term solve that was just kicking whatever that thing that I didn't want to have to confront was down the road, but with interest compounding and making whatever that thing was worse when it would present itself again. And of course, like there was something of a shame spiral because I am interested in living the very best life I can. I do want to be the best dad. I do want to be the best in relationship with any and every person, including myself. And the short-term solution of grabbing a drink created a perpetual state of suffering when it came to how I felt about myself when I was by myself and how that shame overshadowed any of the good that was already present in my life. And that was the like, this is not sustainable. This is not a thing that I can continue to do. Hmm. Uh, We got to do something different. And I know that just deciding to stop drinking isn't going to be the thing that solves it, which was where the outreach to you and the work that you've done for these last couple of decades not just addressing substances, but right. the underlying behaviors, the thoughts, the beliefs, the stories, the identities, the attachments in relationships, the family of origin, all the things that we end up unpacking in these eight weeks. Well, and, and for me as, as your f- friend, right? At this point, we're friends. It's also, okay, you're going to be coming to cast centers. There's a little bit of stakes <laughs> selfishly because if this doesn't go well... The last thing I want is for you, this is your first treatment ever, and I don't want you to have a bad experience. And as you know, in the beginning of the process, I had to eliminate myself (laughs) and have your own team there because whenever there's someone I care about or they come to our center, like I'm everyone's boss. And so I have to be really mindful uh, not to play favorites or not to uh, interfere but, you know, I really believe that you needed, and, and this is my belief, is people should enter into treatment, uh, hopefully syncing up or matching the lifestyle they're going to live so they can navigate the triggers in their life 
And so by the time they get home, they're already more equipped with more tools. But I know when you initially came out and then you were going to come out and then you had COVID. <laughs> and, then, and then I was thinking, oh, he's never coming. <laughs> if he has any excuse not to go take it. And then by that period of time, you stopped drinking. Yep. So I'm thinking, okay, he, he stopped drinking now. I don't know how much time you had. And then you're, you got COVID. And so I was like, oh, he's, the odds of him coming out here are pretty slim. But you were determined. Well, I will say this. I'd already done for me what was the hardest thing. Mm. The hardest thing for me was having the conversation with the people that I was most afraid might judge my need to go in and get help. Which, again, I'm going to say this. This was one of the most unbelievable and amazing experiences of my entire life. And it is something that I could have opted to jump into and take advantage of long ago, right? Years ago, I could have decided to do this. I would have saved myself years of letting something like this interfere in any way with what is already a really great life that I have. But I didn't. I delayed because of this worry of what it might mean to have to confess that I needed to get help or um, how it might inconvenience the people that I love the most. Right. And um, number one, every person that I was worried about, you know, having to say like, hey, look, uh, I feel like I've tipped back into leaning on alcohol more than I'd like. I don't want to have alcohol a part of my life, but I also know that I've previously not drank for long periods of time and didn't deal with a bunch of stuff. And there's a place that I can go to help me deal with all the stuff. Right. so that I can nip this thing for good. And here we are. I'm 90 days in. We're going to do this podcast again at like six months. We'll do it again at like a year. Like I, I do want to show like the way that this journey ends up unfolding over time because I am so new in it. But also, it was insanely inconvenient, mm. right? Like the decision to do it was really inconvenient. Like it was hard to ask, hey, Rachel, would you mind... You know, I'm going to come back on weekends to see the kids, but would you mind taking more responsibility with the kids? It was hard with Heidi, who as a partner, like was, of course, so supportive. By the way, Rachel's reaction was immediately so supportive of, hey, man, I'm proud of you. This is great. Go for it. Let's go. But walking into treatment as Heidi and I were starting a fitness challenge together that now I'm not going to be hmm. able to participate in the way that I would have hoped to be able to be supportive as a partner that was hard. And the hardest part for me was done in having those conversations. Yeah, in the conversation with kids. I, and, and sitting down and having a conversation with the kids, a thing that like, I really dreaded having a conversation. I talked to the older two boys. I didn't have a conversation um, with specifics necessarily to the younger two, because I didn't know that they were in a place where they could fully comprehend all of it. But the way that that conversation with the older kids went down was one of the most beautiful experiences of my parenting life in that I got to represent to them, hey, uh, I want to go become a better version of me so that I can be a better dad to you. And I want to make sure that you know that if you run into something where help exists, mm. that you taking action to get help is a sign of strength and not weakness. I want to normalize this as a thing that you ought to do without delay because I didn't do this for some length of time. I was really happy that there wasn't like this, oh goodness, I'm so glad that you're finally taking care of the drinking. Like it wasn't even a thing that was on their radar. Yay for high functioning drinkers. But 
to be able to model to them, like, we're not going to stigmatize this. I want you to ask me every single question. And hopefully this isn't going to be a thing that you have to deal with. And also like math with four kids, the chances that someone's going to have to deal with something in addiction or substance is just a real possibility. And I want to be able to be, if nothing else, a model for, Hey, if you need help, get help. Now, what I will say is <laughs> the the hope that you have of like replicating the real world is a thing that absolutely ends up actually happening when you're in an outpatient treatment facility like this, because yep, it's it it is a Monday through Friday nine to five kind of experience. It's almost like a job. But the real world is still happening every yeah. single day. I mean, shoot, I am it's like it's one of these things where I I wouldn't change a single part of how anything ended up happening, but like the, the support that, you know, was represented at the beginning of me jumping into treatment was also met with an interesting commentary from my ex-wife in podcast form while I was in treatment that afforded me this opportunity while surrounded by a bunch of unbelievable resources and the ability to process the feelings that come up when initial support turns into a more critical eye. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have been able to process that mm. in the outside being triggered the way that that kind of a thing ends up triggering you without the, the, the community of support. But I also think if I had been completely isolated from the world at large, mm. I wouldn't have been in any place to even know what to do with it. Yeah, I mean, super odd timing. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> super odd. But the truth is, it's so great when it's almost a nice thing when you go through a lot of stressors while you're in treatment, because these are the things that people will go back to their old coping strategies. Um, my lisp is coming out here in Texas, <laughs> but, um, you know, like I, I, I'm really proud of you. You know, I'm, I'm proud of you for, you know, showing up. I, you know, made, made sure to assign you the people I thought would be a really good fit. Oh, they were amazing. I mean, honestly, the most amazing and different Super people, different, right? Super different. I mean, there was, I, I had, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think I kind of explained this before, but the way that this works is that it's three different sessions each day for five days a week, eight weeks of a program, right? each week themed to a different thing for you to dive into and unpack. Identity was the first week. Uh, the like attachments and relationships was a week. Family of origin was a week. Fun and games, like work-life balance was a week. Like everything that you have to practically consider and most of the things that tend to be connected to triggers, yep, those are the things that we end up going through. And you end up having this mix of group therapy where there's a bunch of people who are going through mm. something in either mental health or addiction and these one-on-one -on -one sessions. And I had these three unbelievable practitioners in a doctor of psychiatry who is the single person I've ever sat across from who would not let me get away with my shit. <laughs> I mean, she just, I would start giving her something that you might hear in a book or mm -hmm. that I might've, you know, like watched a good video about in personal development lore. And she was like, are you trying to tell me what you think I want to hear? Like, I need you to tell me what you really feel. I, like there was something so beautiful about being challenged by this most extraordinary person. There was another one who uh, was really all about attachment. And we spent most of our time talking about relationships. And mm -hmm. there was something I think beautiful in, in like 
the first being about self, the other being about connection and relationship with other. And then the third person I was with was really an addiction specialist and just really like diving into, you know, like how do these things, how do these triggers, how do these feelings, how does like alcohol present as a Mm. symptom to the unprocessed stuff that you have not yet tended to? How can we tend to it? But then how can we also, even if you believe it to be tended, create something in routine and process to make sure it's not a thing that ever comes back? Well, I mean, I I think, and it is ties into Built Through Courage because it is extremely courageous to ask for help. Everyone has excuses. Everyone says, and my whole training, what I did for years was interventions. And literally we would meet the day before we sat down with someone and spend over an hour looking at all the reasons or excuses for why they were going to say, I'm not getting on the plane and I'm not going to treatment. And I've heard every excuse. Okay. <laughs> like I've heard everything. Believe it or not, the most challenging people were actually homeless who were the busiest. And, they, and it's, uh, that's a whole other, you know, uh, uh, population that's really difficult, but you had every reason you have four kids you have a relationship, you have a business, you have a, uh, a brand, you know, you have, uh, you have every single reason of why, and you made a decision to do what is best for your own life. You got sick and tired of being sick and tired. You got sick and tired of being too frustrated. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think you were telling me earlier in one of the groups, you know, they shared that 97% of people never get help you know we hear so much about addiction and mental health but the majority of people never seek help they never want to, they never want the help yeah and we know people like that what's crazy too is like my reluctance was connected to ego and vanity and the stigma that might be attached and the headline ends up being kind of twofold number one you can call my thing alcohol and I can call your thing compulsive eating or workaholism or whatever. We all got things. We I like, do. I feel super comfortable in acknowledging that uh, I got a thing. You got a thing. We all got a thing. So the idea that I might make precious my thing or put my thing on a pedestal, like somehow I'm special for having a thing uh, is again, like it's vanity and ego, but that separately the idea that I might hold back on getting help because of the worry of what people might say about my decision to make my life better. Mm. I mean, just think about it for a second, because this is one of those things that like doesn't connect in the moment when you're convincing yourself that you shouldn't go and get help. If someone wants to take a swipe at me for doing something that fundamentally will change the rest of my life, they're an asshole. There's just, there's just no other way to put it. If someone wants to come at someone for taking a step to become a better dad, to become a better partner, to become a better person who can have a fundamentally different relationship with themselves, that's a them problem, not a you problem. And I, we had this full circle moment today because I was even like in debate as to whether or not like, should we like, is it okay to have a conversation about this? Is Mm. it weird? Not weird. And it was a God moment kind of thing. Like within 10 minutes of the conversation, I got an email, a text from someone who is a part of my friend community that I was really honest with very early on. Like I'm like maybe two weeks in and had not yet gone into treatment that like, Hey, I'm heading into treatment. I'm going to, you know, I'm two weeks into not drinking. I'm not drinking anymore. 
And for them, it was permission to acknowledge the thing that they also have been struggling with. And I got the text today that, you know, here I am about 90 days in, and they're just crossing the 60-day threshold of their own sobriety journey. And I was like, no, we have to have this conversation. Because even if there's something that ends up coming up for someone wanting to poke at it or whatever, maybe there's someone who hears this today and is like, well, maybe this is the sign I've been looking. You looking for a sign? Maybe this is your sign that you also are tired of being tired and help is a thing that you've long known in your gut was a possibility, but you're afraid of doing it. I've just come out of the most extraordinary life experience, period. Mm. And I want to encourage somebody who uh, is struggling, whatever you're struggling with, there is someone that exists to help, whether it's in conventional treatment or otherwise. And the worry of what people might think is nothing compared to the way that you'll feel in taking a step into getting the help that sits there begging you to step toward it. And, and, and that's such a great point. And when the help is offered, it's important to remember that sometimes the greatest change happens when it's things we don't want to do. <laughs> yeah. we, all, we wish we could just take a pill. We wish we could just solve it right away. And people try. Not only did you ask for help, but you followed through with all suggestions. And, you know, it's been great to see how much more peace and how you've had moments of what we call the pink cloud, yes. which is the when you start feeling alive again and your lights start turning on and you start feeling even more spiritual. And it's just really been great to see you do it, that. It's unreal. And I, I mean, I'll say this, like I, I was committed from the moment I decided to go. So my, my, tr you know, recovery, my, my treatment, it began before I got there. Mm. And it was, it was marked at the beginning by nervousness. Like I did not know what to expect. It didn't matter how many times you told me how good it was going to be for me. I was, um, I was terrified mm. of um, what it would mean to confront what I knew would be needed to confront to get to a place where I felt like I could find peace or could, could not uh, you know, have some of the darker thoughts or the darkness that had existed present in my life. Mm. The person that I was at the, in those first two weeks was fundamentally different than the person I was in weeks, call it three through six, yeah. was fundamentally different from the person I was week six through eight. Mm. There is something surreal, odd. I, I'm going to cry about it because it's just like, I, 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 I think like anyone, I walked in thinking I understood a lot of things I didn't understand. Mm. There was, I think, even, you know, like a degree of hubris in, some of what was being taught. I can remember I sent you a text on that, like the day first one. day. Was it day one? Day one. God, I shouldn't Do have done it day one. It oh my God. No, it's oh. embarrassing. <laughs> Go ahead, read it. I don't, but, but like, I basically sent Mike this text of like, Mike, like we're talking about identity. Like I wrote a, I wrote a chapter in my book about identity. Like I know identity. Like I came in, like I think probably most people who are raising their hand for help, like, I don't really need that much help. Or I want, or people go, I want this kind of help, but I don't, I'm not a group. A lot of people go, I'm not a group person. Yeah. And then the first two days, but then by the end, oh you my God. love the people in the group. The, the group, the group experience. Well, I, let me just Enjoy stay on, let, let me just stay on this track for two seconds. I don't want to talk about group, but there was something so unbelievably humbling about the decision to, um, 
to just kind of do every single thing that was asked, even if you didn't understand it, or even at times thought that it was crazy that you were being asked to do it. Mm. Because there is, as it turns out, of course, a method to the madness. And for someone who, you know, in some ways was living, like I was willing to be self-aware enough to acknowledge that there was a problem, but also in denial about how to fix it. Mm. And here I was surrounded by experts who have decades of experience knowing exactly how to give the best chance to anyone if they were to just follow the way that they know works best. And that like, that like, I think I'm, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I understand too much of personal development or maybe I've been doing that melted away. And the version of who I was in those first two weeks became instead of like talking the most in the groups or I even hate to admit it, but like I was peacocking a little bit like, guys, I know we're all the same here, but I know a few things. So let me <laughs> let me share you became the teacher. Let me share as though I'm a, a, a an associate. I'm a co-facilitator. My name's Dave. I know that I'm a, a patient here, but I by the end will be an instructor. You know, like I'm embarrassed a little bit for that dude, because by the third week, I mean, I went through a four week period where I think I cried more than I talked mm. because Every single bit of what had not been tended to when I went through the abstinence window, um, it all was now bare and exposed and was, um, and, and like in tilling the ground, like you can't plant the seeds until you till the ground. And like, when you start tilling the ground, you find all these old roots and mm. rocks and, and like staring at them completely naked and exposed. I was... I was just like, okay, I'm glad that there are still six more weeks. I'm glad that there are still five more weeks. I remember getting there and I was like, what could we possibly talk about for eight weeks? <laughs> what could, like, I have never done anything for eight weeks. I've never done anything for eight hours, I don't even think. Like eight weeks of time felt like an eternity. And those first two weeks, I had that attitude of like, what could we possibly need to do for eight weeks worth of time? And now I understand like there's, there's a breaking down to the core that has to happen before you can rebuild anything. And the most important thing for me was um, the time was there to normalize being uncomfortable and not changing anything. Mm. Like just being uncomfortable with the feelings, being uncomfortable with what I was confronting, being uncomfortable with the stories I was telling, being, un being uncomfortable with sometimes the things that were happening outside of treatment mm. that were super triggering and just sitting with it over and over and over to normalize sitting with it so that when I get out of treatment and have a 10 minute episode of being triggered, I can remind myself that I just sat through eight weeks worth of being triggered and was able to be just fine. Thank you very much. It wasn't comfortable. It wasn't nice. I didn't love it necessarily, but I was stronger for having survived it and proud of myself for not having reached for alcohol to mute the uncomfortable feelings. Let's go. So it was, it was well, a beautiful thing. Let's go. I mean, um, by the end, those last, those last two weeks, the, the anxiety or, or worry of what it was going to be had become um, a worry of how it would feel to not be inside of a space that I was able to fully and completely every single day be c 
honest, just completely bare, honest. That this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. Honest. And in that room, whether it was in the one-on-ones or in the groups, have every single person be like, me too. I feel, you know, that reminds me of like, there was not an ounce of judgment. And in a world that's so filled with it, Mm. that was like, that was the medicine. That was the thing that was just so beautiful in that, in that space, because it just is an invitation to come as you are. And man, like now I get to, and that's, if there was a thing that like, I am attempting to maintain out of treatment, Mm. it's the man, remember how good it felt when you just got to be who you were, right? Imperfect, work in progress, Mm. lots of good. And also some stuff that you're still trying to figure out and work on, like be that guy every single day. And if that doesn't attract certain people or repels them, if someone rejects you because of, they're not supposed to be here. Yeah, and usually the people who want to pick apart or reject, they're... I don't know. There, it's it's kind of it's it's not even the energy of getting well, healing, getting better. It's it's the judgment police. It's the thought police. But the majority of people, we all know people who are alcoholics. You know, I'm in recovery. Everyone knows someone in recovery. We all struggle. We all have ups and downs. It's especially in the world of social media and digital media, you know, it's the great thing is it kind of being in treatment reminds us of like our humanity, our truth, the honesty. And look, you have a whole recovery plan since you've been back here in Texas. Yeah. You know, we just went to a mean this evening. You go to means, you know, it's, it's not like you're viewing this as, you know, I went off to treatment. I'm cured. (laughs) At all. Let me go back to Texas. (laughs) I'm good to go. At all. Yeah. No, this is a, the cool thing is, um, in a world again, where I stigmatized recovery myself, like I thought it was a thing. I like, we just had an experience tonight where I walk out and I'm floating. Mm -hmm. It was just like, we both were what me too. What an awesome night. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome night. And this is a thing that again, it's like, I've judged something I've never experienced. I've judged people I've never sat next to. Yeah. I've judged things that I didn't appreciate. Like the the antidote to so much of my unhappiness was always freely and readily available, but I'd convinced myself that it was gonna paint me with some kind of brush and that vanity as a barrier to entry mm. was so ridiculous when I now get a sense of like what it means to walk into a space and be welcome just as I am. And to know, hey, I'm gonna walk out of here and I'm gonna be floating for the experience of community in a way that I wouldn't have otherwise experienced if yeah. not for owning who I am and being and being prouder than I've ever been of who I am and, mm-hmm. and trying to show up for myself, acknowledging all the parts of me, every part, the parts that, are, um, that have always been there, but that were, um, that in denying them was keeping me from some of that light. You know what I mean? The group thing I want to come back to, because this is also one of those things that if you've never experienced group therapy and you ever find yourself walking into it, uh, you will be like most humans and be skeptical of what the (laughs) heck is actually happening here. And the craziest thing happens in a setting like this, you form bonds 
in ways that you will never, ever form bonds with people because of frequency, the depth of what you are diving into, and the connection that comes in honesty, just like pure and total honesty. You know, I think everyone has a deep desire to be seen for who they are and loved exactly as they are. And that's the kind of thing that ends up happening inside of group. I mean, like, it is a ragtag mishmash of people, and they are my people. I have, like, I have stayed in contact with so many of the crew, and I'll get a random text on a day just like, hey, man, thinking of you, what's going on? And it's just like, oh, my goodness. You know, like, I, I just, I feel connected to this crew who were present for one of the most significant experiences of my life. And I would have, if I had a choice, asked to not have to be in group when right. I came in. <laughs> no, no idea. Yeah, sure, that was I was worried. To be honest, I was worried for a few things. One was my relationship to you, and I don't, you're, I don't want this to go bad. <laughs> I'm like, no, I mean, that's the selfish, right? Yeah, but I had a feeling it was going to go good because I just being around you and your life, and I didn't want you to go in a direction where. You go off somewhere, there's no contact, you're in lockdown, you go back home, there's no transition, it's not real life, and it's just not, it's really, it's defeating. Yeah. It's a defeating experience. And um, the other was when you see the mishmash and when you get into the curriculum for you not to quickly go, oh, what am I doing here? Yeah. And yeah. what am I going to get out of this? And... You know what I mean? I like, know, of course, what you mean. Here's the interesting thing. We were all in a group text uh, several times a day. <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to step out a little bit, like I had mentioned to you, because I thought, okay, I want to keep a relationship with Dave as, his friend, as your friend, and I need to not get involved in the details. Because I was like wanting to make sure you didn't, because a lot of people won't tolerate and they'll start dictating their recovery plan. And yeah. that's right when it goes south for them. Yeah. Well, what's interesting is I think there is just something natural as a part of our human condition to, to judge a little, like book by cover. But then also when you become aware of just how suffering is so universal, mm. when you hear the depths of someone's suffering, your first reaction is, oh, I am not like this person because they are really going through it. And there were some people really, God, going through it. And so um, that initial reaction is very quickly melted by this appreciation that we are all the same. Hmm. We are all struggling. We are all human. We are all battling demons. We are all dealing with stuff from our childhood or dealing with rejection or dealing with self-doubt or, or, dealing, issue, or avoiding issues or muting things. All of us, every single one of us. Yeah. And so the like initial reaction to, and this is, again, I think it's ego or vanity. It's like, well, I'm not like these guys. Like I, I might have problems. I don't have these kind of problems was very quickly changed into, I'm so glad I found people that make me feel so normal for being who I am. Mm. And that is just such a gift. I feel like I was given a front row seat to human, to humanity, to to everyone. And so I think like one of the gifts and it wasn't even in the brochure is like you walk away with compassion, you walk away with empathy, you walk away appreciating that you have no concept what anyone that you are interacting with on any given day is actually going through. Mm -hmm. 
because every single person you deal with is going through something. And the way that you are able to maybe in in an experience like this, walk away and be like, oh my goodness, I have a completely new worldview. That person who's being hateful, that person who's having a, a, a bad day and taking it out on me, I was thinking that they were just being mean or they're a jerk, but no, they're they're in pain. They're struggling, they're suffering. And man, I was suffering too. I, I have compassion or I have empathy for the fact that they're going through what they're going through. Well, and, and the, the interesting thing is one day you can feel, oh man, I'm not suffering like this. And another day you're like, I'm suffering more than anyone here. Yeah. <laughs> right I, I all mean, of a sudden yeah. it's a roller coaster i'll tell you what there were there were a handful of times where you know the first meeting of every day is what they call a process meeting where it's just open to the room you're processing whatever you individually are going through on that day some people are processing frustration with traffic well, how nice for you that your biggest weight in life right now was traffic and other people are processing really deep trauma i i hit a window there in the middle where that process meeting for me, I, I started the conversation almost every time with, hey guys, I'm sorry, I'm gonna go into this again, but, and then I started crying. And I just started talking about some of this stuff that I was trying to work through and unprocessed trauma and some relationship attachment stuff and grief from divorce that I was uncomposed in delivering. Like I am good at speaking. I was not good at speaking in that because it was coming up, it was coming out, and that process was doing, as it states, allowing me to process in a way that I never ever had before. But it was it was happening in part because the bond that now existed with these strangers who'd become friends mm. had said, you're safe here, brother. Just right. come on in and let it out. And as soon as you'd say like, I'm sorry to bring it up, everyone in the room was like, don't be sorry, man. This is why we're here. We're here. And you can bring this up as many days as it takes for it to not come up. And, you know, there was a Cal Ripken-esque consecutive days of crying streak that I, you know, I, at first I felt bad about. And then I realized like, oh, this is, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. And it felt so good. It just like, it felt so good on the, uh, on the, like on, at, towards the end. It didn't, I'll be honest, it didn't feel good in the middle. Yeah. It was hard. It was really hard. There were a string of like four weeks there where I was like, oh my goodness, this is really, really hard. And it was supposed to be. But, you know, that was, I think, part of the beauty was like the willingness to to sit in that hard and be in that hard and keep coming back, even though, you know, you, you finish a day at five. And for me, because I was trying to replicate something of a isolated experience, I was going back to a studio apartment that I'd rented in Airbnb, and I'd sit for what would be then six or seven more hours being kind of upset, be, you know, processing the emotions. I was in my thoughts and, you know, whether it was journaling or just sitting there working through it. And, uh, you know, the idea of then waking up the next day and coming back in and having to get go through it all again wasn't always a thing that I was looking forward to, but trudging through it is, you know, like the only way out is through, man. Like that, the only way out was through. And we, like, we worked through it for sure. In closing, uh, or before we close, I, I, I am interested just in like something that might be practical or tactical for the person who's listening and is like, wow, you're making this not sound like medicine as much as it might be an opportunity for freedom and a really you know, like uh, uh, awesome way to transition away from suffering into something that is more like freedom. 
if, if they find whoever they are, the listener finds themselves right now still confronting the stigma or still like afraid of asking for help, what's the first piece of advice that you give to somebody? Well, you can always call us the cast centers because Robert will talk to anyone. Yeah, he will. So even if you're looking for a therapist in your hometown or just needs a voice to talk to, that is Robert's job. So for one, there's no excuse. It's free advice, free conversation with Robert at Cast Centers. So, you know, it's castcenters.com. You call, you'll speak to Robert. And if Robert's not available, eventually he'll be available. You'll speak to Robert and he will spend all the time that's needed. I, I, I mean, look, asking for help, know who you're going to when you're asking for help. It's really important you know, for example, if I, if I need, if I was really struggling, I wouldn't go to my mom. My mom's alive. I love my mom dearly, but that's not who I'm going to go to today. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes we go to certain people over and over again and it's not the right people. Or sometimes we make excuses for why we can't take care of our anxiety or depression. We'll be like, well, that's because I went through this in life or that's because of the divorce. or that's because if you were me, you got to eliminate that and just realize you can feel better. There's always a window to walk through and just ask the right people. And and by the way, you may go to a therapist. Some people go, therapy doesn't work for me. I've met, worked with plenty of therapy doesn't work for me. I'll be like, well, how many therapists have you been to? I went to one. It didn't work for me. I'm like, well, how many teachers did you have in school? <laughs> like you maybe didn't like your math teacher, but you loved your English teacher. Yep. It's, you have to keep doing it. Like there's this idea that suddenly in mental health, you try something once or twice and that's just it. And so just, you can't give up the the journey. Yeah. I will say, and I, I want to attribute this quote. It was it Einstein. Somebody said this, like you want a different result. You got to do a different thing. I, that's not even the quote, but like, I, <laughs> I like it, but, but, but the idea, like I wanted a different result, right? Right. Like I wanted to not be anchored by all of the things that I had not processed. I wanted to not have alcohol as uh, a thing that I might lean on to not have to confront the way that I was feeling about myself. Yeah. And I was doing the same things that I always had done and expecting something of a different result, mm -hmm. which is the definition of insanity. Yeah. And so making a decision to do something completely different completely inconvenient, completely hard, completely like it just uh, my entire life had to be put on pause was the attempt to get a different result. And here's the thing. I am so new into this. I've never been so proud of myself in my entire life. Mm. Number one, I, I'm goodness. I've never been so proud of myself in my entire life. I never have. And I am just starting a journey that will last for the rest of my life. This is not like, oh, I went and so I'm done. It's great. This is now me committing to recovery and the work that started by doing something different for the rest of my life. And part of why I want to do a follow-up to this podcast is to talk about, you know, well, what happens when you come out of the cloud, as it were, when you're flying high, feeling, <laughs> like literally yeah. feeling for the first time, like I am feeling all the feelings for the first time, um, you know, here's the news flash. I hate to like let everyone in. I said this to you at dinner, you know, you, you go through this work and you confront all these things and you make this commitment and get the tools and the resources to stop doing the thing that you were doing to cope. And it doesn't make your problems go away. 
Mm. Like my problems are still here. I'm just equipped because of this experience to handle them in productive ways that make them either not feel as big as I'd previously made them out to be because of the work that was done to deconstruct some of the stories I was telling around them or my willingness to represent that, oh, I know I need help. And I'm going to continue to put myself in environments that will allow me to lean on that help on the days when I'm not strong enough to do it on my own. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I think for sure came out of this in so many of the like aha moments, like the decision to step away from social and the, the, the want to really focus on me. Yeah. Cause social media, but I don't know anyone that got sober through social media. No one, I, I can guarantee you. <laughs> it's like, it does the opposite. I can guarantee yeah. you. Um, but when I came out, when I came out of, uh, when I came back from LA and I get back in Texas mm -hmm. and I'm putting together like, well, what's kind of like, what, what's the plan of attack? Like what's next for me? There were only a few things that I have a hundred percent certainty on what next needed to absolutely hundred percent always have as a part of my routine in my life. You know, continuing support was certainly one of those things. Uh, focusing every single bit of my energy into the thing I know I can do well, and that is being a very present, intentional father to these four children. Mm. And this, this thing that, man, is happening in real time, a very deliberate and intentional interest in spending time in connection with people in person. Yeah. A thing that I think was exacerbated certainly by COVID, but that also in like the, the faux connection. And I say that in a way that hopefully doesn't dismiss at all how nice and wonderful it has always been to have a community of people online. But there is something that happens in person that is different than what happens on the internet. And so like the thing that we're doing tonight mm. has been the most important, one of the most important things in that you're the eighth person that I have made dinner for that isn't related to me at this house mm. in the last two and a half weeks. I am flying tomorrow to have dinner. I, like, I have no agenda outside of, I would like to come to you to have dinner with people that I am friends with, but that live out of state in my buddy John Acuff and Annie Downs. Mm. Maybe Carlos Whitaker is gonna show up, I don't know. But like the, the standing friend meetings that I have with the people in my community are the things that I am prioritizing because I appreciate that some of what was missing in my life was the authentic connection that comes in being present in real life and in person. And the only way that I'm going to maintain the feeling that I have is by not thinking I can do any of this alone and developing and, and really pour, like, like watering the grass in these areas that are so important to me. I, I, <laughs> I was, uh, I was with my kids for eight days in a row, not long after I got back for what was their spring break and having your kids tell you that they're proud of you <laughs> is, uh, a thing I hope every person alive gets to hear mm. the critic in me. I will be honest, like started speaking first, like, oh man, if they're proud of you for how intentionally you're showing up, it must've been that you meant that you weren't showing up that well. And very quickly I was like, just be in today, yeah. be present in how good you feel about how you're doing and how well you're pouring into them. And don't let that asshole voice that keeps trying to convince you that you're not good enough or you're, you didn't do it good enough or that regret or, or whatever, let it go. Yeah. Be where you are 
and continue to to pour into these spaces because this is the only place you're ever going to be, my man. It's uh, it's been amazing, and I credit. Um, I mean, shoot, I credit our friendship, the seeds that were planted that allowed me in those moments where I was like, why do I, why did I, why did I do this, man? Like, I, I know that drinking isn't going to be a thing that's going to help me, but I found myself tonight reaching for a drink and I don't want to do that. And you being there to consistently help nudge, even if you weren't doing a, a full court nudge, man, <laughs> you gave me a nudge. Um, the role that Heidi played, I just, I want to give her credit for being someone who so consistently was witness to like all of who I am, but also was like, take care of this. Yeah. Take care of this. You are strong enough to face the things that you need to face. And, um, and with her support and encouragement, like my I remember jumping on the phone with both of you and she was just all, she was all in, yeah. she was all in and her, her, her being all in, in a, in a crazy way where I was so scared of what it might mean to confront, um, was, was an unbelievable gift and a permission slip in some ways to go do something that was terrifying and turned out to be beautiful. So, uh, I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful certainly for her. Uh, and I'm grateful for all of you all of you in this community that have been so consistently supportive in the midst of, man, the craziest few years of my life. And uh, I'm excited for every single thing that is about to come. What that's going to be, I don't know. But I know it's going to be good in part because of a willingness to get help. So uh, thank you, Mike, for being here. Mike, Thanks, if, Dave. if someone wants to learn more about you, Learn more about cast. Learn more about anything that you are up to next. Where do you? Uh, where would you send well, people? No, I mean, I, I honestly, they can just. If anyone's curious about getting help for f like free advice, call castcenters.com. Uh, my socials is Coach Mike Bear, but this is really about you, Dave. I'm I'm here for you. That's why I flew in. I told you, I'm flying in. I said I'm going to fly in in a few weeks and see you and check in and see how you're doing. So I kept my word. You did. You gave me a window of time. I'm staying the night tonight. I'll fly out in the morning, and I love you. I love you too, man. All right. Between now and next week, I hope you all feel permission to be exactly who you are. Own the parts that you don't necessarily love the most. And if any of those need help, I hope you'll have the courage to turn some of that shame into power and take a step by asking for help. We'll see you next week on the Rise Together podcast. Rise Together is hosted by me, Dave Hollis. This show is edited by Andrew Weller, with production support by Sterling Coates. Cameron Berkman is our executive producer. 